The desire of Titus Women is to invite women around the world to know Jesus as their Savior, Center, and Source. May God guide and encourage you through this message by Beth Coppage. Now, I would like, we're going to do numbers this semester, taking the possession of our inheritance in Christ Jesus. I am so excited about this little book. I can hardly wait for Bible study to start. And Al is so excited that Bible study is starting because then I don't have to give him every lesson. <laughs> so he says, oh, so uh, the Lord is good. Now this morning, because we're going to do a little bit of an overview of the first 10 chapters. Don't be overwhelmed. I don't think it'll be overwhelming once we get into it. But I'd like us to look, if you would turn to first... Um, uh, Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 6, if you would turn there, um, 2 Corinthians 6, at beginning with verse 14. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness, and what communion has light with darkness, and what accord has Christ with Belial, or what part is a believer with an unbeliever, and what agreement has, uh, has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God, as God has said. I will dwell in them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will, be re I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. And then if you could turn to our favorite book from last semester, Jeremiah 32, beginning with verse 38 and going down to 41. They shall be my people, and I will be their God. Then I will give them one heart and one way, that they may fear me forever for the good of them and for their children after them. And I will make an everlasting covenant with them that I will not turn away from doing them good. And I will put my fear or my awe in their hearts so they will not depart from me. Yes, I will rejoice over them to do them good. I will assuredly plant them in the land with all my heart and with all my soul. Then Jeremiah 33, 3, call unto me. And I will answer and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. Now if you put your finger in Numbers 1. And then let's go to prayer. Sweet Jesus, we'd like to invite you to come to Bible study. Thank you, you're here. We already sense your presence. Thank you for every single woman that is here. And Jesus, we're asking today not for warm fuzzies, but transformed lives. And I pray by the power of the Holy Spirit today, you might turn some of us right side up, inside out, and that, Lord Jesus, the world might never be the same. I pray, Jesus, you might begin to take the, the veil off our eyes, the veil off our ears, the veil off our hearts, that we might become intercessors and world Christians. And that Jesus' history might be different because we've learned to know you and love you and carry what's on your heart. Jesus, Jesus, we ask today that you might come. Would you speak to us? 
We all need to hear from you, especially me. And Jesus, we ask that you might just take charge, just take over. And would you open up the word to our hearts so it's so alive that we never get over it? You promised. You promised it wouldn't return void. So we're staking everything in our lives on that. That the healing truth, oh Jesus, would come to our hearts and set us free. Heal me, O oh Lord, and I will be healed. Save me, and I will be saved. For you are my praise. Jeremiah seventeen fourteen. So, Father, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O oh Lord, my strength and my redeemer, create in me a clean heart, O oh God, and renew a right spirit in me. And Jesus, we invite you to come and take over and set us free. In the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and in the name of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I remember one time we were getting ready. My kids were little. The baby was one or 18 months. Billy was three, and Katie, Beth, and Cricket were in um, elementary school. We were going on a family trip to Georgia. Every summer in August, we go to Georgia. <laughs> we should go to New York, but we go to Georgia for the family. We go to Indian Springs for camp meeting. And so, you know, we're gone almost three weeks to visit family and then go to camp meeting. So I was a busy mother making preparations to get all four suitcases packed, all the kids ready. Then the house clean. You don't want to leave a house messy and come back in a month, no, do you? So I was cleaning the house. So I, had, I was working away diligently. You can imagine how I was working away. So we finally got everybody in the car. We're ready. We drive out the driveway. Then we make it to the Y. And I said, Al, I forgot my sunglasses. I can't go all the way to Georgia without my sunglasses. The acid test of the sanctified experience in the wife of, life of a husband. He didn't say a word. He just stopped the car, turned around, drove back to get my sunglasses. So I ran in. I knew where they were, Miracle. They were upstairs in my bedroom. Ran in, unlocked the door, ran in, was running up the stairs, and crawling down the stairs was my 18-month-old baby. I had forgotten Susanna. And she said, and I just was, I was dumbfounded. I, I, there, I said, what kind of mother forgets her baby? <laughs> so she's crawling. She goes, hi, Mommy. And you and that, I still can get, get, get over Al's face. When I took out the baby in my arm, <laughs> we thought the baby was in the back with the kids. And it was the days before car seats, you know, and we just had a station wagon. Everybody was in the back, we thought, except the baby. So I had made preparations, but not quite enough. And so what we're talking about is God is calling the people of Israel to go on what we call last semester an Uncle Wiggly adventure. He was calling them to go on an adventure, a love adventure with himself. But God, being the perfect parent, had not forgotten Susanna. He was taking the first 10 chapters of Numbers to get everything in order for the big trip. 
So he was just going ahead chapter by chapter to get it ready for the big trip. I would like to go through and just highlight what God is saying in these chapters. And then this week, as God gives you time, I would love for you to go back and see what God says to you as you read them. It may make a little more sense and they may not seem quite so dry. Because when you get into them, they are not dry at all. They are thrilling. Chapter 1. First verse, now the Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai in the tabernacle of meeting on the first day of the second month in the second year after they had come out of the land of Egypt, saying, take a census. Once again, Numbers starts just like Jeremiah did. We have a God who communicates, a personal God who communicates. We have a God who speaks to us. The question is, will we hear? Are our ears unstopped? Are our eyes so we can see? So that God will talk to us and lead us if we will hear. Listen to this. God spoke to Moses where? We know, in the wilderness of Sinai. Where? By the tabernacle meeting. When? February 1st. It, it, it went two years after they had come out of the land of Egypt and he gave them specific instructions take a census wouldn't it be precious this morning on February 7th 2001 if, all, if God we could hear him and he says Beth this is what I want you to do when you go home or this is what I want you to do so that this morning we're not in the wilderness but we're in Wilmore Kentucky We're in the tabernacle, so to speak. Not at the door of the tabernacle, but we're right in Kenyon Hall. God is a communicating God, and I think he wants to talk to us. Why did he take a census? He wanted to see who was on board. And the first thing he's asking us for the new year, in the new millennium, is, are you on board? (laughs) Are you halfway in and halfway out, or are you all way in? And what is he saying? He says, I want to know how many fighting men I have. Because I want to give you a holy land. And I want to give you great possessions. But you cannot get them without a cost. It will be a battle. And you and I want the blessing of God, but we do not want to pay the price. So we look from afar. But there are few ladies very few that are willing to pay the price to know God, walk with God, and to get the inheritance that God intends, not only for you and for me, but for our progeny yet unborn and those born to go to the generations, the thousandth generation. So he said, I want you to take a census. And he takes a census and there's 603,550 fighting men. Are you on board? First chapter is whether you're on board or not. Then the second chapter is the organization of Israel's camp. And how were they to be organized? It's so precious. The tabernacle was to be the center of the camp. And then around the tabernacle you had on the east Judah and Issachar and Zebulon. You had on the south you had Reuben and Simeon and Gad. You had on the west Ephraim, Manasseh and Benjamin. And you had on the north Dan and Asher and Naphtali. So that the center of Israel's life was the tabernacle. What does the tabernacle a symbol of? The presence of God himself. So if you and I are going to get all that God has for us and go into the promised land, first of all, we have to get on board and be ready to go to battle. Secondly, we have to make him the center of our very essence. 
All of Israel's life was built around that tabernacle, every single part of it. And it was the symbol. But today, you and I don't have to have the symbol. That's what I was reading in Corinthians. We can have the living presence of God himself inside you and inside me through the power of the Holy Spirit. He doesn't want to just be in our midst. He wants to be in me. (laughs) He wants to be in you. He wants to possess us and let us be possessed by God himself. We were made for him. The normal human being is the one that is God-possessed. We were made for God himself. And anything else is abnormal because there's a vacuum as big as all outdoors if we are not all God's. So the question is today, as we start the new year, are we all his? Is he the center of our being? Is his presence a reality in your life? I heard of one little um, preacher's wife, and she said her heart was so cold, so hard. And she went through all the form and the motions of loving God. But she said, I'd lost his presence so long ago. I don't know exactly when he left, but she said, I was filled with all the symbol, all the religious routine. I had it down pat. But oh, it had been so long since I sensed the love and presence of Jesus in my soul and the joy of a love relationship with him in my heart. And she said, and I kept looking back over my shoulder like Lot's wife at the world. It had an unusual attraction to me. She said, I kept looking back. Kind of wishing I didn't have to be in ministry. I didn't have to have so much pressure. It would just be so much easier if we had a little more money. It would be so much easier if people didn't call day and night. If we didn't have one more hospital visitation. She said, I just kept looking back. And then she said, but there was a hunger in my heart. Praise God for a hunger. There was a hunger. And I remembered when he had been so sweet. And she said, I began to hunger for him so much that one day I fell beside beside my bed and said, God, I'm empty and I'm sterile and I need you. And she said, I surrendered my pride. I surrendered my fear of people's opinions. I surrendered my busyness and my commitment to my own agenda. I surrendered me. And she said, he came. (laughs) He came. He came. That's when he becomes the center. Is he the center today for you? Have you lost him? Somewhere in the busyness of life. Like I lost Susanna. Didn't even know it. I lost Susanna. I thought it was all there. I had everything. I was all prepared. I'd lost my baby. What kind of mother loses her baby? I was that one. And it's so easy in the busyness of life to lose him. I think before we begin this new year, we need to take stock and say, pardon me, Jesus, where are you? How long has it been since it's felt like joy just flipped over inside your goozle because of the sweetness of Jesus Christ? Because that's what God wants to do so that he's so sweet and it doesn't matter what circumstances are like. He is so sweet. There is just joy. Now it may ebb and flow, but there's joy, an underlying joy. That's a sense of the indwelling presence of Jesus. Then the next three and four chapters talk about the Levites. 
And it talks about, they numbered them for service from a month old and upward. Talk about the value of babies from a month old and upward. And what you've got, and then it's the duties carefully laid out for the Levites, what they do. And what are these two chapters talking about? They're talking about maintaining the presence of God in the life of the camp and what it means. And God wants you and I to enter into a relationship so that we not only make him Lord in our lives, but that we continue to walk in obedience. We make him the center of our life by surrender. We continue with maintaining his presence in our life by obedience. Pardon me, what did I just say? Obedience. Obedience. So that we begin to maintain the presence of God by obedience. And this God, God gave them specific jobs to do. The, the Marathites were to carry and care for the structure of the tabernacle. The Gershonites were to care for the trap, the, the hangings and the outside badger skin and those kind of things. Then the Kohathites were to care for the holy things, the Ark of the Covenant, the table of showbread, the, the menorah. They were to care for those holy things. And then uh, the descendants of Aaron and his family, they were to be the priests. And they were to carry the, the needs and sin of the people to the Father and then bring and let the Father minister to them and to represent the needs of the people. So they did the sacrifices. So there was a division of labor and everyone had a job to do. Not one more important than the other, but everyone had a job to do. And every single one of us here has a job to do that God has called us to. He has not just called a few. He has called everyone. Do you know what he's calling you to do? And you say, what, what can I do? I don't know. Ask Jesus. I remember reading in Samuel Chadwick. I love that little book on his life. He was a preacher of the last century. And he was a, little, he was a dynamo for Jesus. And he preached. And he'd go into a community and he'd say, Lord, give us the... Give us the the worst person in this community that they'd find Jesus, the Lazarus of the community. And, and he'd pray and pray till that one would find the Lord. Then he'd have him come to church and give his testimony. They'd pack out the church, not to hear Sam Chadwick preach, but to hear what God done in the life of the most reprobate in the community. And so that it, so people just, whole communities were turned upside down when God came to town. Well, one of the people that was turned upside down was a little ignorant alcoholic from the wrong side of the tracks in the back part of the town. But he fell in love with Jesus 100%. Well, he kept saying to Sam Chadwick, what does God want me to do? Sam Chadwick gave him this job and that job and every job, and he, he couldn't read, he couldn't write. He was ignorant, and none of them worked. So finally, Sam Chadwick says, I don't know what God wants you to do. <laughs> Go ask God. <laughs> so he said, okay. So we went home. And I love Jesus. Because you don't have to read and write to be a powerhouse for God. You don't have to have anything. Just a willing, broken, available heart. I love Jesus. And so do you know what? He went and God said to him, I want you to go and witness. And it was the second most worst family in the community. And he said, oh. You can't do that. He came back to Sam Chadwick and he said, they'll kill you. 
He said, well, I don't know, but I asked for my mission, and that's what God told me to do, and I've got to obey. So when Sam didn't know about it, if he didn't go, it was a little tiny man, knocked on the door and asked him they, they, early in the morning, so everybody was still sleeping and drunk on the floor, and finally got somebody raised the door, opened the door, and he slid in. And big old brawny man says, what are you doing here? He said, I just came because God sent me and I'm inviting you to church. And he goes, church? We have never been in church. Not for years and years. He said, I know. That's why I'm here to invite you. And then his wife came down and says, what does this little man want? He says, well, I don't know, but he's come to invite us to church. And he said, church? We don't go to church. He said, that's why I'm here to invite you because you need to go to church. You need Jesus. That's what you need. And do you know what? The presence of God came in that room and that old, hardened, wicked man said, you talk just like my mother used to talk. And he said, that's why I'm here because you need Jesus. He said, a whole kit and caboodle of us will be at church night. What time's that service? So a victorious little guy who couldn't read and write came in that night to Sam Chadwick's service and sat on the front row with his motley little crew behind him. And when the altar call was given, they all went forward. What does God want you to do? What does he want me to do? And he will prorate it for where you are in your life. If you have five or six children, you can't go out everywhere. But he will give you some little ministry that you will be able to stand in the gap for a Janine, stand in the gap for a Marsha Matnick, stand in the gap for Israel. You can make your kitchen a world mission field as you intercede. And as you lay before your children day and night the principles of what God has given to them, God can make you an intercessor in a world Christian. God is saying... How, what are you doing to maintain the presence of Jesus Christ in your life and in your home? So he's not just an afterthought, but he's a living reality. I love having grandbabies. Because once again, you see the theology of children. I kept Maggie last week. And, and do you know what? He is happy as a little clam if he can see his mother. He can love me so well if his little mother's there. But you remove the presence and the tears come. The presence comes back in and the security comes back in. I kept him overnight last week. So he accepted the secondary presence. But I said, Mikey, I know you're a fair weather friend. As soon as the real McCoy comes in, I will not be in your, your vision, line of vision at all. And it was exactly true. She came back. He knows the real from the decoy. He knows the grandmama, but he knows the mama, the difference. And God wants us to live in the place that we don't lose him because we know what is the artificial and what is the symbol and we know what is the reality, the living presence of Jesus himself. What are you and I doing to maintain his presence? And then we have in five, purity. He goes into a thing on purity because you and I can't be in a love relationship with Jesus if we're not pure. And his blood can make us squeaky clean. And so what he talks about is that all leprosy is to be put out of the camp. All those with discharges, all those that have been defiled by death, they're to be put out of the camp until there's healing or proper purification. Is God mean or cruel? No. 
He's not mean or cruel. What would happen if you had a leper in the middle of the camp? Sooner or later, the whole camp would be wiped out. It's just like we did last generation in the early part of this when you had quarantines, quarantine on houses so that infection wouldn't run rampant and wipe out all, whole people groups. God is saying that you and I must deal thoroughly with sin. And if we're going into the promised land, we have to get rid of all sin. And there is no sin that the blood of Jesus can't cleanse. I was in Niceville, Florida a week ago. Oh, I, that was the sweetest experience. They had a prayer squad there. The preacher said, one little gal said, what's my mission? And he said, I don't know, but I sure do need somebody to head up prayer. Well, that little Eva just took it on her heart. And she put an upper room in the back of the church. And then she got uh, signed up people. So every single day of the week, there are four or five hours of people that come and go in that church to pray for the church. And then she's got it all systematized what they're to pray for. You walk in and there's a map of the world. And, I, and do you know when I got there, I thought, I said now, I said, I don't want to go. It's a Methodist church. There won't be one bit of prayer. And it'll be peas on a tin roof. And I said, I don't, it's too costly. And, oh, ye of little faith, God still works. I walked in, and they whisked me into a room, and there were 12 women. And they said, we're the prayer squad. <laughs> and they said, sit down, and we'll anoint you. And I sat down, then anointed the music team. Then they said, okay, now you all anoint us. And then the next, I spoke, and then at the... The evening, I wish we had this in Bible study. At the altar call, those women worked that altar. There wasn't one that came that they didn't have. And they said, Beth, I felt like she was the head charge nurse in a maternity ward. And she'd say, you're to work with this one until the baby's birth. And then the preacher's wife is to this one, and we'll handle this one. The next day, except when I was speaking and 15 minutes for lunch... We were in intercessory prayer with women, and they had literally a waiting room for women. I was in the preacher's study, and they would say, this one is in, and then they'd say, are you quite finished? Not quite yet. Okay. Then they'd send in the next one, and the next one. But this, and they were prayed over. So the deep, deep hurt and sin God met over and over again. And the beauty of Jesus Christ was that every single woman that came in, whether their son was dying of cancer or whether this happened or that happened or their husband had walked out, whatever the pain was, Jesus' blood was enough. At the end of the day, I said, Jesus, I love you. I love you. There's absolutely nothing in me, but there's everything in you because the pain was so intense. I thought only God could meet these women, but he met woman after woman after woman after woman right where they were. Oh, I want to tell you today, there's nothing like Jesus. Do you know I'm in that kind of intimacy? There's no pain in your life that the enoughness of Jesus cannot meet. I don't care what it is. I don't care what it is, but I think God needs to lift up even in our group some Evas that are like maternity room nurses, but they're birthing babies into the kingdom and birthing women into the kingdom. And that God wants to move in and give us his direction for our lives so we don't just exist. We are creative in the things of God. And then he says heart purity. The next thing is so sweet. He said... You're to get right with God, but then you get right with each other. Have you stolen anything? Take it back and get back a fifth more. 
Have you lied? Make it right. It's not enough to just get right with God. I have to be right with you. Is there anything today at the start of Bible study that's not right in your life? Go home and make it right. And then the next thing, Jesus is always so practical. (laughs) He hits their marriage. There's a whole chapter. And if there's any suspicion in their marriage that things aren't quite right, go to the priest. Isn't that precious? If things aren't right in your marriage and my marriage, you know where we're supposed to go? To the man of God or to God himself first for to get help because the sanctity and the sweetness of marriage vows are so sweet that God says everything is dependent on that in the society and if there is a need in your marriage or in my marriage go and get help don't just let it go by and so once that happens then what does he say he says he, let me let me add here remember the little story of the little newly wed wife and she got married and her husband turned out to be not quite the Don Juan she expected and he kept hurting her in little ways this little way and that one and I, unconsciously she began to just make a little note in her mind like a little ledger you know, of this hurt and that hurt, and when he didn't get home, and um, and she just she thought, I don't think I like him as well as I used to. This is a big disappointment. This isn't quite like what I expected. And so she thought, well, maybe it would help if we had children. Maybe this—that's what I'm missing. So she said she had children, but but then it compounded everything. It didn't make it go away. It just compounded it. So she said her little ledger got to be a big letter, bigger and bigger and bigger. And the wall got thicker and thicker. All pretty, just unconsciously. And she said one day she got the flu, and so she went, she went to see her mom so her mom could take care of the baby, or he was about two, and so she could just get over her flu. So, um... Christian home, her folks is, and so she was delighted, kind of, to be home. So she was rocking. Daddy came and she said, "Please pray, I feel better." And her daddy prayed for her. Then he went to bed, and she sat there. And then she said, "Lord, would you please heal me?" And he said, "I would love to." And he said, "Forgive," and he named her husband. She said, well, I'm not talking about that kind of healing. I mean like the flu healing. And God said, I know. But she said, you need something much more than the flu. He said, would you give, forgive him and let go of that little black ledger in your mind? And she said, no, I don't want to. <laughs> and she immediately thought of when, he'd, when she planned their anniversary and had a whole big dinner and all kinds of beautiful things and... Uh, music and roses and everything and he forgot it and went out with his best friend and she said it just squelched every bit of feeling in her heart for forgiveness at that moment and the Lord said would you forgive and she said do I have to he said if you want me to be a reality in your life you have to let go of the ledger 
So she said, I rocked and cried and prayed, and early in the morning, I said, I will begin the process. So as things began to come up, she said, Lord, and sometimes she addressed them in love. Sometimes she said, Jesus, I forgive. And as things would come back, Lord, help me to forgive. And do you know, she said, about a year later, as God began that healing process to bring down the wall, she said one day he was out in the backyard putting together a barbecue grill for her, a brick one. And she looked out the window, and she thought, he is doing that for me. And she thought, Jesus, I love him. I forgive him. I love him. And then she said, she, by her kitchen sink, I love that, she lifted up her imaginary black ledger and she said, would you take it? I don't want it anymore. Jesus can come and cleanse and heal and set us free. Any black ledgers that need to get under the blood, even in Christian marriages, and then says, purity in me. He called them Nazar- the Nazarites to purity. Where there's a separation of you and me to the work of God. And to God himself. And what does that mean? The Nazarites were to leave off liquor. They were not to cut their hair. And they were to not defile themselves with the dead bodies. Even for family. And you say, what does that mean? Do you know what that means? They were to be separate unto God. And if you and I begin to walk with God, to head into the promised land to claim our possessions, God will begin to call us to a life of separation so we go online for him. And that's not easy. I can remember in seventh grade, after Jesus met me as a child in a new way, I went to a new little girl's school, an Episcopalian girl's school. That's why I learned to write so funny. And they, and they said, um, and he said, Bethy, would you be willing to read your Bible at noon up in the library? Because we had an extended lunch period. And I said, in front of everybody? He said, it doesn't have to be long, but i just love to talk to you halfway through the day. I said, oh, But his presence was so real, and I was so longing to serve him. I said, okay, Jesus. So every lunch, we'd have lunch, and I'd fool around a little, and then I'd go, excuse me, and I'd go up to the library, get this little, and spend just, oh, I'm not sure, more than 10 minutes. But do you know what that did? I was a marked child. (laughs) But do you know what was made a difference he would meet me day after day in that library but it got so even when I wanted to quit halfway through the year you know you weary of it my friends would say if I played too long Bethy don't forget your time with Jesus hurry 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 so no longer was I doing it for myself but the whole little group of girls were watching me and they did not want me to miss 
it meant there was another reality and another option for their lives as well. Do you know, at the end of that year, there were five or six of those little friends in seventh grade that met Jesus. Now, I don't know what he may mean to you, but he may say to you, you need to stand up and be counted at work, at seminary, in the office. You need to be counted to mark you that you are no longer yours, but you belong to him. Painful? Very. Costly? Yes. Redemptive? It makes this presence a reality in your life in a way nothing else can. Because you sit there all alone bearing his name. He becomes exceedingly precious. Then sometimes, do you know what? You will begin to walk with God and you'll get family pressure. Say you're not to defile yourself even with family. Do you know what the family pressure can be? Remember when E. Stanley Jones was called into missions? And he wrote home so excited to tell his mama. And she said, well, E. Stanley, that's a lovely vision. But she said, I'm too sick for you to go into missions. And, and you know what the Bible says? Honor your father and your mother. And I need you to stay home and take care of me. I am going to, I, they've told me I'm going to be an invalid. And I can't face life all by myself with you trotting around the world in missions. You have not heard God right. So the young man went back to his prayer room and he said, Lord. And the Lord said, you did hear me right. I want you to go into missions. What about my mama? And he said, I will take care of your mama if you will obey me. Painful? Costly? He wrote another letter to his mama. And said, Mama, I have to obey God and I have to trust that he will not abandon you in my obedience. And do you know what God did? (laughs) He turned her heart So she released him and said, I have been wrong. I release you to missions. And she got well. And she lived many, many more years and never was an invalid. He said, if I had disobeyed, I think my mother would have died an invalid. Because when you and I do the will of God, it is the best thing in the world for everyone. It is redemptive and healing for everyone even at the time it seems incredibly costly and surely this can't be your will God to hurt my mother in such a way but if he, we will obey him he will make a way then the next chapter it's on purity and then we get into dedication of the Levites dedication of the tabernacle And they bring love offerings to Jesus. (laughs) To just say, Jesus, we love you, love you, love you. And we don't just love you with our mouth. We love you where it hurts, our pocketbooks. And we're going to empty out our pocketbooks and share our joy with you. So what happened? They brought their love offerings to Jesus. That's what we want to do here. Say, Jesus, we love you, love you, love you. We want to make a difference in the world. And we want to trust you, even with meager finances. Like he did last year, last semester, took all our nickels and dimes, and we raised for missions over almost eight hundred dollars. 
sent that 240 to Africa and then the rest to Haiti. God can take us together if we do it. And then 9 and 10 are whether he's got him right on the brink. He's got him ready. And 9 and 10, they have a celebration. And it says, remember what I've done for you in bringing you out of Egypt. And then he says, feed on me. And, and ha- they have the Passover celebration and they feed on Jesus. And then he says, look up. And they looked up at the cloud. And he said, follow the cloud by day and the fire by night. And then he said, listen to the silver trumpets. Because when you need direction, follow the crowd and cloud and listen to the silver trumpets. When you hear two blasts, it means everybody get together. You hear one, just the leaders get together. When you hear the war cry, get ready for battle. When you hear the advance, go to get ready to travel. He said, look up. So remember, celebrate, feed on Jesus. Then look for the cloud and listen. And then he said, go forward. So what God wants us to do is that we would feed on Jesus every single day of the new year. And maybe you and I don't have our quiet time nailed down because he's not center in our life. I have two lovesick kids in my house, college kids. It is no problem for them to make connection with their beloved every single day. (laughs) It is no problem. I don't have to coerce them. Sometimes I have to uncoerce them. And so what God is asking is saying, if you really loved me with all your heart, would it be so difficult to get a little green chair, a little blue chair, or a little place, even with babies that you feed Cheerios, and make a time to seek my face and celebrate me and feed on me. And as we feed on him, what happens? You and I begin to know, no longer through a cloud or through silver trumpets, we begin to hear his voice when he says, this is the way walk in it when we turn to the right or to the left and he gives us guidance and then we begin to know when he says go forward and sometimes it's easier to sit in quiet time than to go forward so we need to know when to be in quiet time and then when to obey and go forward into what he's calling us to do even if at the time it seems difficult And then this 10th chapter ends with the story of Moses asking his brother-in-law, Hobab, to go with him into the wilderness. He said, you have eyes to see and you know the wilderness. And that is the call of Jesus today to say, would you invite me to go into the new millennium with you? Would you invite me to go with you into the next week? I am the one that has eyes to see the future. I am the one that knows the wilderness. I am the one that can take you through much better than Moses' brother-in-law. And God is asking us today, will we be willing to remember what he's done then feed on him and celebrate him then look up and listen and do you know what if we will listen god will work we had the most extraordinary thing in our family one of katie beth's twins they're four now katie beth went shopping and with another missionary at christmas time and the twin they're fourth the twins are four sadie's three and abby's two so she was so excited to be out. <laughs> so they were in the new mall, and they were shopping in the mall. And she picked out a little uh, present for Mikey for Christmas, put it over her arm, a little sweatshirt, and she and Shelly were talking. 
Well, she left the store without paying for it. And she went into the next store and was looking around, and all of a sudden she looked down, and there was Mikey's sweatshirt. She go, oh, Shelly, I haven't paid for it. So they ran out of that store, ran back into the other store, and went past four security guards, went up to the counter and paid, and they undid the beeper. But it never went off. So she said she sat there. She let, left, got home, and told Dan. And Dan said, you'll never believe what happened. Said we, I, we were brushing teeth, getting ready for bed. And all of a sudden, Annie started wailing. She said, Daddy, Mommy's in trouble. She's going to be in trouble with the police. She's done something very wrong. She won't come home tonight. And Dan said, Annie, you are crazy. She said, Mommy's not in trouble. She's shopping with Aunt Shelley, having the time of her life. She said, no, Daddy, you are wrong. And she cried and cried till Dan didn't know what to do. Finally, said, Annie, show, should we? Let's pray. Oh, that's what we need to do. So she prayed her heart out, Jesus, bring my mommy home. Don't let her get in trouble with the police. Don't let her do anything naughty. Jesus, would you just take care of her and bring her back? And so she prayed. She got a piece, brushed her teeth, crawled in bed, and went to sleep. The next morning, Andrea came, who helps them, and is Kate's tutor. And she shared it with Andrea. And Andrea said, Katie, Beth, everything Annie felt would have happened. They would have been so angry that you had taken, an American had taken Hungarian goods. You could have never explained yourself properly in Hungarian. They would have never known it was a mistake. They would have called the police and you would have been in jail and maybe thrown out of the country. It happened in Tanzania with just an innocent mistake. Jesus wants us to have ears except you become like little children and have ears to hear and to listen. He's calling us. It was February 2nd in the wilderness of Sinai. <laughs> they were by the tabernacle and God came to Moses and he said, Moses, would you take a census to see who's on board our ship to go to battle? And Moses said, yes, sir, I will. Today is February 7, 2001. And God comes to each one of us here and he said, Would you all like to be on board my ship? I'd like to take you into the promised land. But I have to know who's willing to come. Who's willing to get squeaky clean. Who's willing to be all mine. Who's willing to feed on me and let me love them and hear what I have to say. And the question is today, are we willing? Let's pray. <coughs> Holy Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Would you let today be the D-Day in our lives? Where we hear you, we know you. And we let go of anything that would keep us out of all that you have for us. Jesus, would you move our hearts, our souls, and our spirits to say yes. I come against every lie of the enemy and pray only truth could surface today. And today you would make a difference in our hearts. We worship you together in your name.